Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Chris Rosini, our co-host. Chris, welcome to the program. Good morning. Great to be with you, Dr. Paul. Very good. You know, uh, we did spend a lot of time on COVID, and uh, I think it'll be back. They're always talking about the next virus, and we're always still realizing that some of the uh, uh, grabbing of power that some politicians have, they don't want to give it up, and they're still clinging to it. So there's still a big problem on there, how much residual there will be in the uh, you know, undermining of our liberties. And it's usually said after any kind of a war, whether it's a hot war or you know, a COVID war, uh, the return of the liberties never come. But uh, t- today I want to talk about where there's a hot spot. And we, of course, for months have mentioned, and, and, and uh, as a matter of fact, all the way back to 2014, when we participated in a coup in Ukraine, uh, we've, been, we've been talking about Ukraine being a, being a hot spot. But it's, it's getting hotter now. But at least we've answered all the questions. The people have figured it out. Just like everybody understood exactly what was going wrong and what was wrong with the regulations on COVID, they've decided that it's all all of of Russia's fault. It's it's all uh, Putin. He did everything, so that's why we have to attack him. So we're in the midst of a... uh, really a currency war that they won't really talk about, but we're in a commodities war going on. And uh, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, something that's going on right now because we've been using, throwing our weight around. We've been doing that for years, uh, but it's beginning to get annoying that uh, we sometimes blunder ourselves into problems with foreign policy. Then we turn around and, uh, and demand something from other people, just like our president closes down a lot of our efforts domestically to produce oil and gives us shortages, along with the shortages that occur with the inflationary system. And, uh, it, and he's now begging and pleading that the people that we antagonize, like Russia and Iran and other places, they're always agitating, how are we going to get the oil and I would it's easy to see why they might not be that anxious to to bail us out but uh, this weekend there were several articles that uh, we'll talk a little bit about and the whole theme about these articles as a consequence of the chaos in the currency markets and the commodity markets uh, and the inflation is uh, bringing about uh, you, you know Bretton Woods number three uh, because it is argued that Bretton Woods number one was uh, 1944 when it was first set out uh, as we were coming out of the out of the World War II, and we were a powerhouse. We had all the gold theoretically. Where the gold is now, nobody knows. Uh, we, we had the gold, and we were spared a lot of a lot of real big problems from World War II. Uh, we weren't invaded. And so we were in position, we had still had a strong military, so we could dictate the conditions of, of uh, the monetary conference in Bretton Woods. And they came up with uh, this pseudo gold standard where the dollar would be uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, account, the, you know, the, uh, mission, the unit of account, but it would not be a real uh, gold because we weren't even allowed to own gold back then. So it was a pseudo gold standard. But because of our wealth and because that we were spared, we were able to become the issuer of the world uh, reserve currency. And that has given us great benefit. 
And, and of course, over the years, we abused it. And the stuff we did in 1944, because we kept printing too much money and we had license to steal by just printing the counterfeit money, most uh, good economists, especially the Austrian economists predict, this won't work. Matter of fact, Henry Hazlitt said in 1944, it can't work. It's a stupid stupid result and he can't substitute for gold but lo and behold he was absolute right and uh, the day came august 15 1971 which was an important day in my life because i remember it so clearly and it confirmed the fact that the austrian economists were wrong uh, right excuse me were right in their predictions for the 10 per 15 previous years and uh, hazlitt was right and so the whole system broke down so uh, they just got together and had another uh, Bretton Woods. Uh, you know, they, they brought up another Bretton Woods and, and the buy price of gold was changed for the official price. And, uh, and we got to operate that, but we still issued the reserve currency of the world. And now, uh, due to what we have done and how we have abused uh, this power in controlling the world, throwing our, our weight around financially, putting on sanctions a lot of people, fighting wars that we had nobody to fight with, that we're in trouble. And uh, as we mess things up with the inflationary problems as well as the interference in our marketplaces, we're coming up with shortages. And then on top of this, here we had uh, the monstrosity of COVID regulations. So uh, right now, this has prompted, those conditions has prompted a lot of people talking about, well, what we need now is, uh, you know, Bretton Woods 3. And uh, there are some very good people, very intelligent people. They're recognizing that uh, 2 is done. We're not going to revive that. I mean, just recently, uh, with this uh, hostility toward uh, Russia, uh, we confiscated one half of all their foreign reserves. I was just saying, Chris, wonder wonder what we would do as a country and as a as a financial community do if somebody came and took half of our you know uh, uh, financial wealth uh, without our permission. So that that is not the way to uh, have a smooth transition. So this is what uh, is being uh, predicted by several people. Uh, our friend Lou Rockwell sent me a little note over the weekend, and he called attention to one of the articles. And, and this came from Ray Wood and uh, Roberta Kelly. Uh, and and a little quote that I'm going to read from them is, We are witnessing the birth of Bretton Woods III, a new world order can, centered around commodity-based currencies in the East that will likely weaken the euro-dollar system and also contribute to inflationary forces in the West. That's very likely a possibility, but it's not so simple that ABC and it goes smoothly because, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> when when governments throughout history have shifted from one reserve currency to another, it, it wasn't a smooth thing. Sometimes it took years and years. Uh, we've already started to slip as the reserve currency. But the fact that we've taken on, you know, in a way, uh, so much of the world, uh, China, and Russia, you uh, you know, Iran, uh, it's already the dollar is used, being used less. And uh, these plans are interesting because they're all talking about this. But my caution is, is not, uh, not thinking that it'll be easy, that it's going to happen with a click of a switch, or that we need an official international body uh, to renew uh, the Bretton Woods and have a definition 
and a management uh, uh, program, either through the IMF or, uh, you know, central banking, because uh, what I want to do is work toward free marketing banking, Chris. Right. Of course, Dr. Paul. And, um, you know, when people trade with one another, they have to first trust one another. And since we trade with money, uh, you have to trust the money, too. Uh, that you're exchanging. And the idea that the dollar, that a Fed, a central bank can counterfeit, the idea that it could be as good as gold, and I believe Alan Greenspan uh, claimed that one time, that they could make the dollar just as good as gold, you know, that's a fairy tale from the very beginning. And now we're seeing the results, the Fed, you know, and the government spending, they've created so many trillions of dollars that they have created a massive a problem for themselves that they can't they really can't manage they can't raise interest rates or they'll collapse everything they can't keep inflating or uh, prices are going to skyrocket further so they've trapped themselves which is what central planners always do and that's why central planning always fails because uh, it's impossible to do that doesn't stop them from continuously trying but they always fail now, uh, as you mentioned we can be on the cusp and may be on the cusp someday of going back to a commodity-based money, and that would restore, for sure, trust in money once again, because it wouldn't uh, be subject to the human temptation of counterfeiting. And, you know, where that would uh, come from, whether it be out in Asia or Russia, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, uh, that it would ever happen here voluntarily, uh, but somewhere in the future, somebody is going to back their currency with money and people will rush to it because they'll be able to trust it. Uh, I guess the future is still unknown, but we, we know the principles and we know that what's happening now cannot last. Very good, Chris. And I want to go back a little bit to what I was saying about the unit of account and why you have to have a, have a definition of the unit of account. Uh, our founders understood this because uh, uh, they had gone through the runaway inflation of the continental dollar. So they put in the Constitution that the states just couldn't print money because that was a big problem to it. And only the states could only use gold and silver as legal tender. So that's in the Constitution. It's, it's never been repealed, but it's been ignored by uh, Republicans and Democrats and everybody else who wanted to be, get a free ride. Uh, but the unit of account did have, they were very precise at the beginning of our country because uh, they used it as the unit of account uh, because it, it was already circulating was the Spanish milled uh, silver dollar. And in that dollar, it was similar in some ways to the amount of silver that ended up in our early silver currencies uh, percentage wise. But the, the dollar had 387 grains of silver in it. And, you know, th that lasted for a long time. And they were only allowed to use gold and silver. And they bounced around and they had bimetallism. They had some in short shortcomings. They did suspend it over the years. But they really did uh, pretty, pretty well with it. But uh, systematically, though, uh, from the very beginning, as soon as we had the Federal Reserve, they started mucking around by not honoring uh, you know, the unit of account. And it kept varying, uh, you know, from uh, the weights in the, in the metals and also uh, using fiat, suspending the private ownership of gold. You can't have money really working 
if the people aren't allowed to own the unit of account and turn it in to find out if the government's cheating or not. So this, uh, this has gone around, but not a lot of people talk about, well, what will the unit of account be and what is its definition? Now, they say, a lot of people say, well, this is the reason you have that is that prevents inflation. And in many ways, it prevents the excessive printing of money, and which leads to the uh, prices going up. But uh, in, in many ways, though, people have the idea that if you have a currency that you can precisely define and it's rigid, uh, that's the solution. But it's not exactly being rigid. The definition has to be rigid, but the currency itself should be guided in the market. Even when you had a gold standard, people still had to, when, when the gold became more valuable and was had purchasing power going up, they had to go out and mine this gold and mine the silver. So it, it varied. It was a price level. And one of the mistakes they made was they had a rigid uh, relationship between gold and silver, the ratio, and that, that was flawed. So you have a rigid definition of the unit of account, but you don't have rigid rules saying everything has to be priced in a rigid way. You don't decide, well, a loaf of bread is going to be $3 a piece, and in a gold dollar, that's the way it's going to be. It's nothing to do with it. The loaf of bread has to vary in price. The value of the currency has to uh, vary. But it's not the variation I'm talking about in the financial markets like we've had, because that is very destructive, and that's why we have this chaos. But that is also the reason we have been brought uh, to this point where there's a lot of people thinking correctly the current system is not going to continue. We better get serious about it. And of course, they're talking about monetary reform. That is something that uh, when I uh, had them uh, organize and we had the Gold Commission back in 1979, 1980, after the chaos of the changing of the definition of, of the dollar in the 70s. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that is important. And when they talk about monetary reform, Somebody has to define what it is, and it has to be acceptable in the uh, in the market. The people have to accept it. They and they have to yes, like Chris points out, you have to trust what they're talking about. You know the unit of account, but you also the bigger problem is trusting the people who are supposed to be in charge. And the best way to deal with that and making sure the people in the central banks don't do the same thing again is prohibit central banking. Chris. Right, Dr. Paul. And you mentioned earlier about uh, the mess that's happening over in Ukraine with Russia. And it's obvious that there's a pile on on Russia, our country and and other countries from the West, making them into a mortal enemy. And I even sent uh, Dr. Paul a link earlier that the U.S. was even threatening China, too, that if they help Russia evade <clears throat> sanctions, then we're going to you know, start punishing China, too. I mean, think of they're going to make another enemy of both Russia and China. I mean, do Americans realize economically what this means? I mean, Russia, as we've mentioned before, is a major commodities producer. You know, the commodities that are used to make, you know, especially food uh, with wheat and gas. And China, they manufacture virtually everything. You know, I, I remember going with my wife into a store and we were specifically looking at products to see where they were made. And it was almost across the board China. Basically, here in America, we sell things to each other that are made overseas. You know, we don't work in factories here. I, I think I know one person 
that uh, recently has worked in a factory. I've never worked in manufacturing. It was never even uh, an idea or even an option. Where would I work? What factory? Now, that doesn't mean it's non-existent here in America, but by and large, we do not make things here. You know, we manufacture debt, electronic debt, uh, fed, fed digits, and then we use those to go buy from around the world. Now, is it smart to now go picking fights and threatening our suppliers, the people that make things and send them to us? I mean, I don't think we're in such a strong position. Everybody's in debt here. Uh, to be threatening and making mortal enemies out of these people. And, and, and threatening, you take the neocons, they'll even threaten war with them. You know, there is no uh, law that says that China has to sell to Americans. They have a billion people over there that they could buy their own products. There's a billion people in India. Russia has 150 million. There's no reason that they have to ship everything across the world that we're entitled to buy from them. So it's probably not the best idea to be making mortal enemies out of these major producing countries. You know, just like uh, whether it's a trade war or if there's a war going on, a hot war, one that's stirring up in a bad sort of way in Ukraine. Uh, you know, just a few years ago, two years ago or three years ago, uh, the concentration in the news was how bad China was. I mean, it was really, really bad. It was hate China, hate China. But, you know, all of a sudden, most of the hate now is going to Russia. And, of course, what is done where sometimes there's a little bit of separation between the two, uh, they uh, are been forced together. Uh, to set this potential standard of uh, having a monetary standard so the Russians and Chinese are getting along a, a lot better. But uh, the Chinese, uh, you, you know, have, have received a lot of bashing uh, from us but we buy the stuff, you know, though I always wondered, why do we, how do we get away with, with blasting them? Because we undermine a lot of the things that we do, then we go. And the one thing, because we abused the privilege of issuing a reserve currency of the world, which meant that it had sort of an automatic uh, extra value to it. And it's been used a lot. Some people trust it more. So it, we did, we did that. And they, uh, uh, we, we started, you know, China was doing better and they wanted to sell us goods. They were, they were more entrepreneurial than some of our country, companies, and uh, so they weren't competing. So what did we do? We took that junk money, the fiat money, the money had no definition, and so we bought their junk stuff. And, uh, and, and yet they, they ended up with, with the money. And I think they're going to realize that, just like Russia and other countries, all of a sudden, their bank accounts have been drained. Some, all their money has been frozen. Then later on, we might decide to give back the money we confiscated, like with Iran. We, we said, we're going to hand back the money we took. We want to have better condi conditions, uh, relations with you. So people get hysterical and they say, oh, we're subsidizing. We're subsidizing Iran. And all, all we're doing very often is giving back these countries money that we froze when we decided to have a trade war with them. So it's, it's just a shame that uh, the information out there is so biased. So it was like a couple years ago, and even now, hate China, hate China. But boy, this last year or two, it's now nah, it's time to hate Russia. And, uh, mm. this, and, and uh, of course, 
the one thing is, is people say, well, you love Russia. No, I, I love liberty and I like our country and I'd like <laughs> to stay out of these messes. And, uh, and we've justified, we said, we point out where there's blowback and we point out where we committed a coup against a uh, government in Ukraine that uh, was, was getting along better with Russia. And then we put a government in there that was much more aggressive and they became buddies with NATO. And pointing that out, just as trying to point out the facts, that's why non-interventionism is the best way to go. You don't get involved in what the founders called entangling alliances. And I would say this entangled alliance with the monetary system and also with uh, NATO and the United Nations, the United States, and all the, all the things that we have, it's too entangled. And the one thing I want to say about that is people say, oh, you're an isolationist. The truth is, is this open society, this free society, uh, and the free trade and, and legitimate travel is exactly the opposite. But it's done without somebody directing it. It's not done with fiat money. It's not done by force. It's, it's done with voluntary transactions. And you should be able to travel more. And just look at what we have a society with these people who condemn isolationism. It's not isolationism. What we're doing is we've been in the business of isolating countries we don't like. And just think how the isolationists decided, well, we're going to isolate Russia like they've never been isolated before. So if they understood uh, what uh, free markets are all about and voluntarism is all about, we would not be facing those problems. Excellent, Dr. Paul. I will finish up. Uh, actually, this idea comes from Dr. Paul, so I'm taking a page from his book because he has said it many times, and it is coming true right in front of our eyes. He has said that Americans for a very long time have lived above our means, and now or soon we can see the situation is being brought about where we're going to have to live beneath our means. And long term, it's going to be good for the American character, long term. But it's going to be a different transition because it's going to be very different. You know, I remember stories, even talking to my grandparents, and they actually did work in manufacturing. One of my grandfathers worked in Philadelphia, you know, making bumpers for cars at a plant. You know, and they saved money, which is something that just doesn't happen today. We're all in debt. They didn't have any debt. Whatever they bought, they paid for. Even college paid for, you know, uh, because it was affordable back then. You know, government wasn't involved. Um, so this is a totally foreign thing for modern day Americans, that type of lifestyle of frugality, saving, paying for what you want, having patience and saving for something. You know, we're, we're instant gratification. Now, in order to... Uh, you know, we're going to be forced to back into that. Uh, it's going, people are going to have to accept that you can't have government interfering with every aspect of our lives, telling us what to do, what to eat, what to think they're up to. You know, government will have to shrink drastically. And again, that's all for the good. That's the way it should be. Government should not be the way it is. And many people today, unfortunately, they believe government is like their parents, you know, uh, so it's going to be a major adjustment. And Dr. Paul has said, we're going to have to live beneath our means.
because our government is even bringing it about themselves with inflation, with uh, attacking uh, verbally and with sanctions economically, people that supply us with goods. I mean, we're going to have to uh, endure economic pain by going down these roads. Um, hopefully it ends up the ideas of liberty pick up somewhere. We're keeping them alive here. We're not the only ones, of course. And uh, hopefully America has a bright future with a much smaller government in the future. Very good, Chris. I'm going to finish up with a couple quotes. This one quote comes from Eric Peters of One River Asset Management. And uh, he's a hedge fund CIO. But he got a heading uh, headline in Zero Hedge uh, uh, yesterday. You see, he said the golden era for central banking is ending and a global great famine is coming so he's throwing that in too but we've heard about you know food price food prices going up people can't afford them shortages all these kind of things and that's really what happens when you have uh, the runaway inflation uh, people can't afford things and it just disrupts it's just the opposite of a market it's totally controlled by government and you're seeing the result of a controlled market and things fall apart and uh, that's why that's why the market economy, even even when that uh, unit of account is rediscovered, you know, after war in very tough uh, places that are close had been close to the fighting, they end up using money, but it's usually just something they grab in the air that has real value to it, uh, and uh, and it, it, the people could figure it out on what to use. But what we need is freedom, freedom of choice so that we can pick on that, and it could. I think uh, you, you know the big companies could could use the commodities, even if there's a government agency, if you could guarantee they were all honest and upright about their, their doings, yes, uh, they could, because it has happened in the past where governments were a little bit more honorable and they protected the unit of account and it lasted for a long time. Some gold standards lasted for hundreds of years. Uh, the Bizant is one example of, of lasting a long time. There's one other quote here that I wanted to use too. It's the U.S. commodity crisis to give rise to a new world order, says Credit Suisse Zoltan Pozar. Uh, and he, uh, he, he, of course, is about, uh, well known, but he's, he's mentioned about the crisis, which is here, and, and we try our best to understand it monetarily, deficit, size of government, warmongering, all the special interests, uh, you, you know, the military industrial complex and the warmongers and the welfareists all together. And eventually, uh, then when you get super regulated financially and economically, and uh, on the top of all this, all those horrible, horrible regulations that came out of some falsehoods of COVID, uh, that has added to this crisis. So in one way, it has ushered in and moved the crisis along where maybe people would wake up. In the late 70s, things were bad, uh, but it was the conclusion of the breakdown of the Bretton Woods. Gold went from 35 up to $800, but there was a recognition that something had to be done. And even though we had the gold conference, and talked about it, it had a subtle influence, but it, it wasn't accepted. But it also helped set the stage for, you know, doing some real serious changes. And that's when they modified and tried to improve a little bit with their, foreign, their, their monetary policy and try to prevent, you know, living with uh, the 
appreciation of money and the inflation forever and ever. And it was sort of pulled out of the fires there and Volcker was involved in that. But we went back to doing the same thing again and it's very, very addictive. And that's why I'm pessimistic that, uh, you know, this whole thing that we're dealing with uh, started out of the bad recession we had in 2008 and the QEs came about, which we have never dealt with monetarily. And then we added all this other stuff on. So uh, that, that I think is much worse. The conditions are much worse and much more dangerous than they were at the end of the 70s because uh, there's been still a lot of people uh, you, know, you know, taught Keynesian economics and the famous statement was to epitomize exactly what was happening in 1971 is uh, that was under Nixon. He says, I, I, I didn't hear these words, but he says, we're all Keynesians now. <laughs> he knew something about economics. He knew what Keynesianism was. It was almost like a confession uh, because, yes, they all were and they went along with it, but it didn't last and they were able to bury it, and they were able to get confidence back to some degree, and now we're seeing the consequence of this, because it is, it is an addiction, and believe me, you know, just going cold turkey and getting off that addiction, very, very tough. The politicians are capable of doing it, and the people would not accept it, so people have to understand it and prepare for it. It can only be changed when we get a prevailing attitude of insisting on monetary reform and do what the founders did at the beginning of our country by realizing that they just had gone through the runaway inflation of the continental dollar and put some strict rules in there and uh, which haven't lasted, but at least we know exactly which direction we ought to go. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.